0: Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance.
1: This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. We're getting ready to go racing here on the streets of Long Beach. And the alignment was very, very late. The rear of the field, pretty much single file, although the battle for third is three wide as they head to Jake Quarry. They are three wide indeed. Marcus Erickson went to the outside of Kyle Kirkwood, but Kirkwood, the rookie, was able to shut that door. Actually, second year driver, first time on pole for Kyle Kirkwood. He is very clean through the fountain area. Everybody starts to mind their P's and Q's, but one car did not make it through, Mark. It's Elio Castroneves, one of the former winners, as Kyle Kirkwood, under a full course caution, leads Marcus Erickson and Ramon Grosjean through turn number six. Castroneves now side by side, get to make contact with Panepino. That shuffles Joseph Newgart in front, and Kyle Kirkwood gets around it as well. Boy, they are
0: slipping and sliding left and right, and Pato Award spins right in turn number eight, and everybody scatters to try to avoid him. He backs it into the tire barriers. Alex Palou had to come to a near stop, but that's going to kick Pato Award to the rear of the field. They're still in a turn number nine, but Michael, the biggest winner of all, is Joseph Newgarden, your new race leader. It has been a joy to watch this young driver's maturation through the open wheel ranks, and now today, as he gets his first pull, goes on to get his first win. Here comes Kyle Kirkland, Mark Jates, to the checkered flag for the final time. The
1: advance a part checkered flag flies, and for the first time... A Grand Prix of Long Beach. Tromont Crochon grabs the second spot. Marcus Erickson is third. Colton Hurt a fourth. Alex Pelot completes the top five. What a weekend for Andretti Autosport. They take three of the top four spots here at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach.
0: The team made it easy on me. Andretti Autosport, I mean... Those guys made it really, really easy on me. Um, may, maybe one, one of the easier races I've ever had, and Brian told me that. He's like, look, it's no different than any of the road to Indy stuff. Of course, it was tough there in the middle when I got stuck behind New
1: Garden, but kept it calm. We knew the strategy was going to play out in our favor, and uh, it surely did there. And I'm so thankful for them because uh, they're the ones that guided me to this victory today.
0: Hello and welcome. It's Trackside 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Highlights from the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach on Sunday, and a first-time winner, Kyle Kirkwood, for Michael Andretti, where he won his very first IndyCar race, and won his very last IndyCar race. Thanks for joining us tonight. There is much to get into from that event, and we've got cars on track on the Oval at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Thursday and Friday. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is along with us. Eddie Garrison. In our downtown Indianapolis studios on Monument Circle, you're welcome to join in with thoughts, comments, questions at Kevin Lee23, at Kurt Cavan. Uh, we've talked about the prestige of this event in last week's program. Let's talk about
1: the event itself, the race itself. What'd you think from Sunday? Well, we've had. Um... We've had interesting moments at Long Beach in the past, and this one delivered some. This one involving Scott Dixon, Pato Award on a couple of occasions, and a first-time winner. So, you know, these street races sometimes can be challenging because there is a lot of action going on on the racetrack, but difficult, you know, sometimes it's difficult to kind of make sure you see all that, but good racing. Uh, You know, Kirkwood kind of had them covered, it, but it is good to see a first-time winner always Later in the show, I hope we talk about and and kind of handicap who might be next in terms of first time winners. Uh, so, you know, a good event. Uh, you know, Long Beach is a fantastic event on site. You know, it's a difficult to sometimes you know get that to the to the common common sports fan because it's a street race. What an oval is really easy for you know a, a, a non. IndyCar fan to kind of jump into and see the the action you know the street races are a little more uh, strategic and Mm -hmm. so some of that comes into play Uh, but you know a record number of passes throughout the field for a race at Long Beach since we've been keeping track on such things since 2009 so all in all a lot of fun And in this case, strategy
0: and timing of the yellow might have determined the race. Um, For Long Beach races, you know, as you said, this is not always the greatest race, kind of like in many ways the Indy 500 for a time was not a fantastic race. It could be a bit processional as well, but it was still about the event. And then, you know, now in the last... Twenty years you know maybe it kind of got started getting started around 82 and we had that fantastic finish but now it's not only generally speaking uh, a massive prestigious event it's also a really entertaining race i think as long beach races go this was pretty good because you did not have the winner set and a couple of things happened that changed potentially the outcome of the race and you had a big kerfuffle on a restart that shook things up and the ultimate winner came within inches three different times of having his race ended. Um, but let, let's talk about that that caution that maybe impacted Joseph Dugardin because it looked like he might have been starting to get the upper hand. And for those that didn't watch the race, and this is kind of the inside baseball part of it, uh, in this race you have two tire options, and sometimes one is preferred over the other. And in this case, it was clearly the primaries – especially if it was going to be a stint over 21,22 laps. So most started on the softer alternates. and a few, like Joseph Newgarden, started on the primary. So their plan was we're gonna go longer than those that started on the softs. They'll pit first, we'll get clean track, We'll try to gap them. and they call that the overcut by staying out longer. And then what the other part of that is, they want to go long to make the red, or now it's the green tire in this case, the Waiuli tires, which is basically the same as the reds. They want to make that stint shorter. And what I don't know is what they would have done if it would have stayed green. As I spoke with some people before the race, the plan was to save for several, to save the uh, alternates for the last stint. Because they're likely to last longer the more rubber there is on the track. The track gets getting better and better. But several did tell me if that first pit stop is under caution and we have not used the sticker reds yet, the sticker greens, that's what we're going to because they get up to temp quicker and they'll help you on the restart. So that would be one of the reasons why Newgarden and the others went to the alternates at the first caution. The caution came at a time when that's kind of – maybe 3 laps earlier you might have seen it mixed you might have seen some stay out they probably still all come in um but at that point you have to come in but in reality they needed at least 3 or 4 laps more in that stint so that not only set up new garden for the second stint which made it shorter and then because that's the alternate stint he was the first to pit the last time and what I don't know is he re- alluded to something that was brutal and from listening to Cindric on the radio kind of sounds like something went wrong. Either they didn't get all the fuel in or maybe there was a miscommunication and he still pitted a lap earlier than planned and then it was massive fuel save at the end. So that took him him out of the mix. Uh, and then I think there were a few others that in the right circumstances not getting getting bottled up like maybe an Alex Pelot. I think he felt like he might have had a car that could have won the race had he not gotten entangled in that
1: mess. And and Marcus Erickson, the Indy Five Hundred winner yes, from a year yes. ago, uh, he basically had to come to a complete stop when Pato Award spun into the tire barrier in turn eight. So yeah, there was there was at least a uh, little kerfuffle in the middle of the race, which which kind of altered not only strategy but but running order, for example. Uh, Marcus Erickson was was aiming for second place at the time that uh, Pato Award spun. And so that forced stop, if you will, Erickson almost had to come to a complete stop in turn eight, dropped him from, from third place down to eighth. He battled back but couldn't get all the way back. So, you know, you had different different drivers. Uh, you know, Romain Grosjean kind of slips through that big incident in turn eight. And doesn't have contact and he gets to jump up to second place, a position he was able to keep. Kyle Kirkwood, similarly, actually, I think I think Kirkwood stayed in second and, and Grosjean took third. But my point is that kind of helped them get to the position that they ultimately held. You know, Kyle Kirkwood has had some moments over the last uh, year plus in IndyCar where he, uh, you know, he was such a talent in the road to Indy and. And the first to win all three divisions in the in the ladder system in consecutive seasons, uh, taking 2020 off for the pandemic. Uh, but he, you know, he he's had incidents last year, which outnumbered the good results that he he delivered. Uh, Long Beach was one of those places where he was good last year, finished tenth in a in a Foyt car. But this was his first really coming out party. Uh, he had, you know, just difficulties as a lot of those Andretti cars did in St. Pete and Texas to open this season, but a good, a good performance, uh, not only to qualify on on pole, his first pole of his IndyCar Series career, but but really to deliver, you know, flag to flag the way you know everybody's kind of pinpointed him for, just a really strong effort and and very deserving of this race win. So now that Kirkwood has broken
0: through the first one might be the hardest one and i think there were still questions coming in and and he admitted this when we chatted with him on thursday he said i'm not going to lie to you there is pressure on me uh we know i have a good car it's a fast car now i've got to finish things off i didn't feel like he had to win the race i I felt like if he could have just finished in the top five then that would have been enough to kind of quiet some of the conversation but he did that and more. What does this mean for Kirkwood
1: moving forward? Well, I think you start with the fact that Andretti has been good on street circuits. So, you know, you, know, you kind of have to capitalize on a moment like this when you have a a, a street circuit, which is going to be favorable to you. Obviously, we saw Roman Grosjean as a teammate. He finished second. Another teammate, Colton Herta, finished fourth. And Alexander Rossi was delivering a pretty good run himself. Uh, not quite at the top five level, but he was he was pretty solid. And so all four of those cars were gonna be good. So we don't have a street race for a, a little but bit. Don't put don't put Rossi back on the Andretti team. I, I I oh, my oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh where where have I gone with Rossi? You're right. Um so he did have a, a decent run, by the way, but he was in an Aero McLaren car. Yeah. But but uh, he's been with andretti so long you start to, you forget but the those point
0: things. the point is right their street package even when they were struggling was still good as colton Hurtis said i've never been to this race long beach and not had a really really good car and i think it it's really good again this year so yeah so that's to, one
1: so to answer your your question you know, we're not going to see a street race for, what, three more, four more races. We're going to have Barber, which is a permanent road course, followed by the GMR Grand Prix, which is a road course, and the Indy 500. So it's going to be a while before we see another street race and the Andretti opportunity. But, and again, this is a little bit in the weeds, but but Kyle Kirkwood really benefited in qualifying by, in that last group, uh, having a fresh new set of of the faster alternate tires, which no one else in that group had. So that he won the pole was, was a little bit of a gift. He still had to execute, but you know, it's the way he delivered in the race that I think matters. And he did what, what we've seen him do on so many occasions in the, in the road to Indy. The other thing he did in the road to Indy program was start slow and how he didn't win his first race, in those series until like races three, four, five, roughly in the season. I think about the Indy light season. He basically, I don't think he had one, I'd have to look this up, but I don't think he won to like race four. And then he won like 10 of the following 15, something like that. So it did take him a couple races in, in all series to kind of get kind of get rolling. Um, But again, I think, you know, the street course package of Andretti really set it up nicely for him on this particular weekend. So I'd be surprised if he if he won again before at least Detroit, but he might. So he certainly got great talent, and everybody's seen that coming. And from, from the team standpoint, I do think there
0: is a real chance that there are four really strong teams this year, that it's Penske, Ganassi, McLaren, and Andretti. However, we still need to see, I think, a little bit more from Andretti before we can really start talking about the glory days of 0405 05 in that range because they were not awesome. They were not terrible at Texas, but they were not awesome at Texas. They've been awesome on two street races, awesome, fast. What happened at St. Beat wasn't their fault. They did their job. They were fast. So now we'll learn a little bit more when we get to Barber. And then obviously we'll start to learn a little bit and we'll talk more about this later. I don't know how much we'll learn at IMS, but we'll start to get a little sense or maybe more accurately. They will learn more. I don't know that we will know everything by just looking at times, but I think they will know more about where they're at. Uh, But I think it's coming. And then the other thing with Kirkwood that comes to mind, so Herda and Michael Andretti, I think Herda was quoting Michael Andretti about this. I'm sorry, Michael was quoting Herda. And Townsend Bell was saying the same thing all weekend. We were all kind of debating, is this going to be different for Kirkwood? You know, now he's not racing with the people that are racing 10th to 20th, like he did last year most of the time. There were a few times that he was up there in the 5th to 6th to 7th range. But now you're racing with the New Gardens, the Rossies, the Pelos, the Dixons, multi-time race winners. Is that going to be more challenging? And Townsend's point was, no. Yes, that's hard. But in general, it's going to be easier because it's much better to be up front where you know everyone around you you're going to trust everyone around you there's less chaos and if you're very much in front you can control things and that's what michael was talking about getting
1: up there getting there is the hard part then it becomes easier finishing the job that that makes sense um we'll have to see i i think it's still you know experience is such a pivotal thing in this series and when you're racing the New Gardens, the Dixons, it isn't just where to put the car in which corner and will you do it the same this time or next time. It really comes down to understanding strategy and, you know, Dixon being astute enough and New Garden as well and and others, obviously, but, but just having that race experience, you know, when to push, when to, you know, Newgarden did something over the weekend that we've seen Dixon do on so many occasions. But when Newgarden got to the lead, he didn't just run away from from the second, third place cars. He maintained a gap. So he was conserving tires, fuel himself, the car. He didn't run any harder than he needed to. Uh, I mean, we have we've seen a lot of these drivers, and and I'm not criticizing them for this, but they go out and run. You think about Pelot last year at, at Laguna Sega, go out and build a 30 second point lead. Rossi at Road America a few years ago. Dixon and Newgarden understand, in particular those two. And and I, again, I don't mean to put them on a on a higher level necessarily, but there's an art to basically just running as fast as you need to. Uh, for the moment now I mean maybe not at the end of the race but in like a middle stint there's no use going out and trying to build a 20 second lead when you know the pack's going to come back to you the first caution that pops up so you know Newgarden really ran a smart race in in that race just that the timing didn't work out as you noted for him but you know so when Kirkwood is racing these guys with such vast experience that'll be a game changer.
0: Hey, by the way, maybe Andretti Autosport knew what they were doing, putting Brian Herta on his radio. And we talked about this last week or the week before, too. That was kind of my theory. While the Herdas may not be super pleased with it, it's what's best for the team. That Kyle Kirkwood needs Brian Herta more than Colton Herta does at this point. Because Colton herta has got it figured out. And he he's even said, I really don't want anybody talking to me. I kind of know what I'm doing. So if you don't want anybody talking to you, let's let the person who has something to offer talk to someone who wants to be talked to. And that's probably Kyle Kirkwood.
1: Yeah. I thought that was a good point. And, and I thought Brian heard a handled on the broadcast really well. You know, he's, he's kind of rejuvenated in a sense, not that, that Brian needed to be rejuvenated, but it was a rejuvenation for him to work with. Basically, I have to think about this. It's an older version of, of his son, uh, but it is a younger version in terms of IndyCar experience. Uh, so having Kirkwood and his enthusiasm and his his eagerness to hear from Brian, I think, really came through in that interview. And I think Brian will help him, uh, you know, just again. Kyle's got tremendous experience winning races. He's he's been in so many races, and even at the IMSA sports car level, been at a high level in this sport. But he still needs to understand how these IndyCar races are won, and Brian can help him do that. Uh, Brian can look at it this way: he's now got
0: two chances to fully celebrate a win. Now, I know he's a you know a, an Andretti Autosport team guy, and any one of their four cars wins, he's going to be happy. But when it's your car, you take a little more pride in that, and I'm sure he's still going to feel like the 26 car is his car as he should, because the driver is his son. So two big chances to celebrate for Brian, uh, and two really strong chances, I think, moving forward. I think what Grosjean did was just as important too. Yes, he's finished second before. This is now the fourth time that he's done that, but but like Kyle, he was under some pressure just to get a result because if you have another incident and you finished in the teens in three straight races, not only is the championship probably gone, finishing top four or five in the championship is probably gone.
1: Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a, I mean, you make a, a really good point about, you know, championship pursuit and your place in the standings when it's all said and done. And those things are important relative to, you know, getting a, get a ride again for the next season or the season that follow you need results but I don't think anybody that watched St. Pete and then Texas would think that Grosjean hasn't been really productive and and impressive. Uh, he was impressive uh, going for the lead, uh, and St. Pete won the pole. Uh, Texas, he clearly looks like he's learned something. You know, he's leading laps under c- competition late in the stages of that race, so he he had had certainly been impressive to start the season. He just hadn't had the results, one of them his fault, one of them clearly not his fault, or you can at least argue that. Uh, in this case, you know, I thought he did what was right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he said one of the first things he said, maybe not the first thing because he wasn't really touting this, but the point is he did what was best for the team. Uh, he realized that that Colt or uh, Kyle Kirkwood had earned the right to be the last to pit on that team. And when they came out one-two with Kirkwood in the lead, uh, or Kirkwood ahead of him, that um, he—I wouldn't say he played defense, but he certainly wasn't pushing the throttle for offense. He wasn't a—he wasn't really leaning on Kyle the way he might have had it been another team late in that race. He said, "You know, finishing one-two is is what was best for the team," and and so—and it's a tough place to pass. So let's don't pretend like he didn't. You know, he wouldn't have tried Kyle if he could have, but but I think it it was fair to say that he was, you know, helpful in making sure that they finished one two and not something else.
0: He's smart enough to know that he cannot crash going for the lead. He's in a contract year that that could have been game over for him if he crashes out a team car. Going for a win at Long Beach. It would have taken probably two or three wins to salvage him returning. And and remember what we always say, this decision is probably going to be made in the next month or two about whether he's coming back or not. So uh, my guess is uh, he knew that. And if he was going to make a pass, it was going to need to be because. Uh, Kirkwood's tires were spin or Kirkwood, you know, just misses an apex somewhere or it's just right there. And it's a, an easy move going into turn one, you know, something like that. Otherwise, because this still, he's still moving forward. In my opinion, if there was question going forward, whether he's going to return so far, if you had to make a decision today, I would think they'd be inviting him back. Uh, he's getting exposure for DHL. Uh, the team dynamics seem to be going well, and and he's fast. So mission accomplished on that front. Marcus Erickson continues to do, and and I think with each passing race, there are more and more believers. Townsend and Hinch talked about it, that Hinch had to uh, kind of convince Townsend a little bit. And and Hinch, remember, was his teammate when he came to IndyCar at uh, Errol McLaren SP. And, and I would always go through the notes because I was in his pit a lot of times that first year with Ganassi and always go back and... Make a little note of the circumstances. Well, here they had a fourteen-second pit stop, and here this happened. You know, and the, and the results were better than what they should have been. So I've always thought he was better than what the results were. Now this is year three, the, where
1: the results are backing that up. Marcus Erickson can win the championship this year. You know, he really can. You know, he got the he got the double points boost last year in the Indianapolis five hundred by winning, and then you know he spent. The next seven race weekends in either first or second place in the standings. So it wasn't like, you know, he got this big boost after Indy and then, and then just, you know, kind of faded into where he should have been, his own level. But it was, it was an impressive drive for him last year. And I think he learned a lot about being a championship contender. Yes, he faded a little bit late in the season. And because of the competition, he fell to sixth. But he comes out of the box this year, capitalizes on Pato Award's trouble late in the St. Pete race, wins the race, and then has been really good at at Texas and, again, in the uh, Long Beach race after having the issue with Pato Award again. uh, But Pato uh, slowed him up. And Erickson really can finish this championship season as a contender, Here's a stat that I came up with today that's pretty impressive. He's been on the podium eight times in these 30 races since he won at Detroit. So when he won in Detroit in, what, 2021, it has been eight podium finishes in 30 races. That's that's consistency. Uh, yeah, he's had a couple of races where it didn't go so well for him, which is why he fell to, to sixth in the championship last year. But he looks like a different driver this year. And he just looks confident, you know, and I, and you've talked to him, I've talked to him. He just feels and seems and sounds like a guy who's a a veteran, who's ready to win at this level. Another guy who's had a really
0: solid, he's not been spectacular so far this season. He doesn't have the win yet this season, but Alex Palo keeps scoring points, eighth, third, fifth, as we touched on could have been a little bit better in this one as well. Uh, So he's very much in the mix Power kind of salvaged something this week, uh, and and he has become just as good as Scott Dixon at fuel saving. That was kind of the key to him getting back there in the mix. Rosenquist got a needed result and turned out to have the best result of the Aero McLaren cars. He comes home seventh. So when I was chatting with Marcus Armstrong after the race, uh, when they were getting ready to come to me, I asked too late to look this up, but uh, I, I said is marcus armstrong leading the rookie points he might be and then i told him you know even though you're going to miss some races i i still picked you to win the rookie points championship and he, he was like really you did and i think he was kind of surprised that and he would have had no idea that he is leading the rookie points by one even though he's only done two of the three coming home eighth pretty impressive
1: yeah it is it is uh that's, you know, he had a nice result in St. Pete, finished 11th and of course sat out the Texas race, but to come back and finish eighth, a pretty quiet eighth. Now he benefited from that log jam in turn eight. Uh, he picked up three spots in that, in that uh, mess as, uh, as a ward and Erickson in particular he may have gotten one other driver uh, for one other position there in that sequence. But the point is, he got to eighth, and he, he held on, and 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 he looked like a veteran, even though he didn't he, get a lot of camera time. He got one more with Rossi. And by the way, that
0: was a suspension failure at the end of the race. And we were running out of time, went back to try to find Rosenquist, and got to the tent, and Rossi is out there staring at his car. So I knew something had happened. I didn't even go over. <laughs> if I'm not going to put him on the air, I'm going to leave him alone. And then I saw he tweeted it later on. But I could tell the way they were all looking at the car – That it wasn't that he just locked him up, that something else happened and apparently suspension broke, put him in the tires. He was going to finish sixth and have a really solid day in that one. We talked about Newgarden. He comes limping home in ninth. Uh, McLaughlin said that it was the middle stint. And I remember um, Ben Bretzman, his engineer, told me that before the race that we're really good on primaries. We're not very good on alternates. And then they needed to run the alternates longer, just like new garden in the middle stint. And that's what took away their chance to maybe be top five or so. They come home in 10th. AJ Foyt racing and Santino Ferrucci finishes 11. That's a fantastic
1: day. It is. It is. You know, they've run pretty well at long beach, uh, better than, uh, perhaps their, their positions at other racetracks. So yeah, good for them. That's, you know, Ferrucci is not a guy you would expect to go out on a street circuit just because he hasn't he hadn't been on street circuits as much as as his um, his time in IndyCar would suggest because it's been more oval based for him.
0: Yeah, I think he said he had only done that race one time, so that's another reason to be impressed. And you know, everyone keeps asking, and, and I sat down with the hundred days to Indy producers again while I was out there, and a lot of questions on Jack Harvey. And, and I feel like that's somewhere they're, they're prepared to go next. But this kind of shows you this is not just Jack Harvey. They are 12, 13, 14. They're running together pretty much all the time in all three races as far as pace is concerned. So Jack gets a nice result. He finishes 13th. Graham does what he always does. Goes from the back to much closer from 24th to 12th. Uh, loongard finishes 14th in this race so a better day they're still making a little bit of progress but not quite there yet I think Pagano said after the race he finished 15th they had an issue I think on one of the pit stops Um, problem on the first stop and went to the back so he was running you know around 13th or 14th and went all the way back to 23rd and had to get his way back up to 15th and the last car in the lead lap, Devlin De Francesco, I would say for Devlin, had a solid day. I know they ran out of fuel and miscalculated fuel in qualifying, or he would have advanced into round two at least. But just getting a finish, running all the laps is a good start for Devlin De Francesco. And then when we come back, we'll talk about some of the incidents, and that'll cover off some of the others. And then some of the controversies and discussions that are going on right now and other stories. Stay with us. It's Trackside, 93.5-107.5 5, 5, The Fan. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Still much more to get to on the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. By the way, Acura, HPD, Honda, one through five in that race. Uh, That's pretty impressive. And what's even more, it's never fun if one is just beating down the other. Well, it probably is fun for Honda, um, but, you know, as just someone that's not involved, we like to see both being competitive, and they were. It was circumstances. Chevy was very much in the mix. You know, as we kind of go around and ask drivers uh, just in casual conversations, does one seem to have an advantage? And the general consensus
1: is, I don't think so. I, th- I think they're pretty even right now. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I would think, at least on those types of circuits, Honda Honda looked stronger to me. I didn't see as much from, well, you detailed the Penske issues. Uh, the McLarens were, you know... Pothole looked pretty strong and practice. He was. He was. Yeah. I, I might give a slight edge to Honda, but not my bunch. Let's get to the incidents and the other storylines that
0: are still reverberating uh, a couple of days later. So I guess we'll just kind of go in order. Start of the race. You know, one of the guys that's really hoping to get the season jump started. Spinning in turn one does not help. So Elio is already on the back foot. And what I don't know is I, I couldn't see it. Um So I heard he had to go to the tail end of the line because he took emergency service. Did he get out ahead of the field or come out like third or fourth in line?
1: I I don't think he we didn't see exactly, but it's it seemed to me that he he couldn't have got out in time. So I think he got to the back uh, because he didn't beat the beat the pace car out. I think that's what happened.
0: Well, they wouldn't make him go to the
1: back. No, no, I know. But but yeah,
0: penalty was to the back of the line. So had he beaten the field out, then it essentially, I think, would have been no penalty. Because I I don't think they would make you go to the back of the line and lose a lap. He would have been able to... Well, probably what they would have done is they would have not waited for him to pack up, potentially... And he would have started a half a lap down, something like that, rather than the other lap. So that that was one part. And then that led to one of the other incidents by him being a lap down. But I guess next in the order was the uh, Pato Award and Scott Dixon contact. That brought up the first caution on
1: lap 20. So I've watched it several times uh, in the last two days. And... You know, there was no penalty called, and I think the more I think about that part of the lack of penalty is because they truly made contact. Pato Award was trying to go inside Scott Dixon in turn eight, and they made square wheel-to-wheel contact. I mean, they hit they hit right front to left front and right rear to 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 uh, left rear, and it was perfect. Uh, alignment, but you know, Dixon was was ticked off, and I think I would I would side with Dixon from this standpoint. You know, that was you know, Dixon's at the point of turning into the corner when Pato jumps in there and tries to make the pass on the inside. The other thing is when you watch where where Pato's car goes. I mean, he is over the rumble strips. He's as close to the wall on the right side as you can get. That's not really the passing zone. You know, you're really not thought of to pass that close on the far right of that that corner. So I think, I mean, I understand why they didn't call a racing penalty. You were side-by-side contact, trying to make it through the corner, and you're trying to do the best you can. But I think if I had to lean a little bit, I'd lean with Scott Dixon in that – That pass was optimistic at best. I think that's right
0: that if it needs to be debated the way we're debating it and the way Townsend and Hinch debated it, if it's not clear, I'd prefer there not be a penalty. Penalty should be when it's just, yeah, it's a bonehead move. No one else is going to see it any other way. If it's 60-40, 70-30, something like that, probably should keep the whistle in your pocket at that point. You know, another thing to think of is – Okay, so Pato does get side by side, but if that car is not there, is he is he using Dixon's car to make the corner? You know, if that car is not there, is he going to be sliding wide? So technically, I don't know that's something you can penalize him for, but it's probably something that's going to be remembered. And okay, you've done that to me. Uh, next, Scott Dixon probably looks at it that I'm not going to do that to someone on lap 20 of the race because it's probably going to put them in the tires. I'm going to find a better opportunity because I think I'm quicker than you. I was able to get that run in a very short straightaway section. So I'm going to wait for another corner. So I get the position and we both get to move forward. Um, that's why it's probably not the best idea to make that move because someone can pay you back. If if you want to put somebody in the tires making passes, you can do that. So probably not
1: preferred, but yeah, I'm okay that there was no penalty. Uh, I, I get why Dixon is not super happy. So Dixon then continued for a short while, then finished last. How about this stat? Uh, I, well, I'm, I'm going to mess it up just a little bit. But since he got out of Toyota with the Ganassi program after the 2005 season, he's gone 18 seasons and only had four last place finishes. That's pretty unbelievable that he hasn't had a crash, a mechanical failure. That speaks to how well he's driven, how well the team's done, no first lap incidences. He has, you know, think about Portland a few years ago where he easily could have been out of that race pretty quickly. Just his his ability to to avoid disastrous results. I mean, he's had almost no finishes in the twenties over the last eighteen years. It's pretty unbelievable.
0: I think I also saw it. I'm trying to scroll through because I knew I took a screenshot of it. Maybe it was. Oh, here it is. Chad Smith. Chad 200, 371st race for Dixon outside of the Indy 500 when there are 33 cars in 14 and 17. That was the worst finish of his career. That was the worst finish of his career.
1: Well, you know, he said like that. The reason why I said last place uh, finishes is because a couple of those last place finishes, he finished 22nd. There just weren't enough cars. But, you know, in this case, numerically. Yeah, that's probably
0: the better way to look at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Last place finishes. And I think either fourth or fifth, I can't remember for sure. Uh, and only like the seventh of his career, he had a couple two or three in those uh oh four, oh five seasons, including the one at Milwaukee in O four where he crashed twice, you know, and he wasn't even done with qualifying yet. And went uh, home. And he went home. So uh you know, that one, to me, doesn't count. He finished last that day because he entered the event but but uh, didn't participate. So the point is, tough ending for Scott Dixon.
0: So the team and the release said because of the incident, I'm, I don't know if that's true or not. They were looking at, eh, maybe, um, but they were looking at a oh, loss of power or some other issue. So we haven't gotten that firmed up. Um, after the race, they, were, they had the engine out and they were looking at it. So that's one we'll have to to check and see if Dixon... They're probably getting close to an engine swap anyway. Um, I don't know where they would be at on mileage. I wouldn't think they'd be ready yet. I don't remember if normally you get to May... Still on the first, second. But anyway, that's something to look at, that he he may have a slightly early engine change. Probably not horrible. What's horrible is when you lose an engine in the first race of the year. And then you're almost certainly going to have to take the penalty at some point by going over the allowed engines. So that was uh, number two. That that was the second incident. And that led to the um, next topic. Everybody pits. Elio, I think, is going to get his lap back and get back maybe with a chance. But Augustine Canapino does not pit. So he shuffles to the front of the field, and that means that Elio doesn't get his lap back. He's right behind him, but still a lap down. And then that's kind of eyebrow-raising there of, ooh, why are you leaving him out there? He's just going to get chewed up by these faster cars behind. And as I said to someone on pit lane, well, you know, Ricardo Juncos is smart, He'd like to get his car on television and visit Argentina scene, and that's the only way to do it. And I know Dale Coyne used to have this theory, too. He would like Young to get a chance to run out front for a little while. And just like we talked about with Kirkwood, the race is different, and maybe you can hang on to it for a little while. But he had no chance, and it ended up being because of his teammate. And here's how I think this situation happened. Some might say, well, why would Hunko send out the other car right in front of their car? Well, it wasn't planned that way. From what I understand, uh, Callum Eilat said this either on social media or in a quote somewhere that every pit stop was slow, including that one. So he had earlier on in the first stint. Brushed the wall, uh, flattened a tire and had to, to come in and pit. So he was way off. They get the wave around back to get on the lead lap, and then they take a late pit stop to try to stay on similar sequence, and then they're going to be a half a lap down or so, but it's right before they go green, um, and then the stop becomes longer. I don't know how long it was, but if it's anywhere more than four seconds longer, or, or put it the other way, if it's anywhere more than four seconds shorter, he beats them out easily. And they probably don't catch him. And he's not a factor on that. So they've already made the decision. We can do this. And then something goes wrong in the stop and they still release him. And at that point, what do you do? Do you tell your guy to stop on pit lane? It's, uh oh, and, and you're hoping for the best. And that's where it ends up. And that's super, super unfortunate. So Canapino gets stacked up. Elio's trying to get his lap back. He's thinking, hey, I got two cars in front of me here that I might be faster than. I can get my lap back. Canapino doesn't know that Elio is a lap down. So he's racing with him. They touch. Everybody gets bottled up. People nearly crash. And then that eventually leads to death threats, apparently.
1: You know, I, I don't... Uh... I, I hear everything you said, and I went back and looked at it pretty closely. I, obviously, you don't want lot there, and it did maybe bottle it up some, but I think the fact that, that canopinos on, on older tires has more to do with all this than than where Callum-ILOT factors into the equation Uh it, it probably, probably probably it was probably going to happen no matter what. Yeah. It probably was going to happen no matter what. I mean, it, it made it kind of interesting that Callum came out right in front of the leader and the leader happened to be his teammate. But I lot, if you go back and watch the video as they come through the first couple corners, I has got enough space on Canapino that it it's not really going to affect Canapino. Now, did it slow him up for a second and that led to a bottle up? Maybe, maybe that kept him from using the advantage that you have as the leader. to really just get out and go. So, but I don't know how much he was going to be able to get out and go when everybody behind him had fresher tires. That's my point. And they're
0: ultimately faster to begin with.
1: And they're faster to begin with and with more experience. And they've raced at Long Beach many times before. All those things factor in. I just don't know. Like I said, it looked good on television from a standpoint of, Eilat being in front of his teammate and then his teammate having issues. When I say it looked good, I mean, it really pointed to that. But I'm not sure Canapina was going to be able to to pull any gap to begin with. And he's racing with guys behind him that he knows has a lot of experience and speed. And he just kind of got chewed up. And uh, and then Callum Eilat received a lot of the anger from from Argentine fans. We've talked about it many times before, how passionate they are. And it hasn't gone well on social media. And IndyCar put out a statement and trying to curb some of the, the real venom, not the competitiveness, not the fan loyalty, not the, like, we got to have a guy with a white hat and one guy with a with a black hat, you know, not like Hatfields and McCoys. You know, we're trying to, to make sure there's some some levelness to the passionate fan base, not the death threats.
0: And Chris Weibert, that would probably answer your question, Yusin, and what can you tell us about the message from Indy to fans yesterday in the post from Calamilot about death threats? Are they related? Were they due to his reentry ahead of Canapino or what? Yes. That's obviously how the Canapino and the Argentine fans saw that. And apparently it was somewhat led by the broadcaster, who I, I haven't seen his original message. I saw his apology translated, but that's what Callum called out. Um, and you would hope someone that's involved in the sport, if he's if he actually is the one presenting the IndyCar feed to fans in Argentina to not understand the nuances of it or just to have just a little more decorum is a certainly out of line. And that is unfortunate. You know, we joke about hate is good, Robin Miller's old old mantra and it is good if people are rational. But when the fan becomes a fanatic and then goes two or three steps more, uh, that's unfortunately what social media has allowed. It's great that everyone has a platform and everyone has a voice. But the negative of that is that people do not ha- ha- they don't have to be responsible for what they say. They're nameless. They're faceless. Some of them, it isn't is their name, but they obviously don't have an employer that would hold them accountable for what they say publicly. And most of it is probably harmless. But if you're one on the receiving end of that, you don't know.
1: Yeah, you don't know where that's coming from. If it's written in Argentina, if it's written on the south side of Indy by by somebody who lives in town, I mean, or, or who lives at the next race or whatever. I mean, you, you can't cross the line, or at least you shouldn't. And this isn't going to stop people from crossing the line. But just a reminder for everybody to take a deep breath and kind of see how it, how it uh, can be better. I probably shouldn't
0: bring this up because this is not a topic for a show like ours. It's for someone with deeper thoughts uh, that deal with real issues, not the toy department in sports. But this radio station is subject to government approval. With the Federal Communications Commission, why is social media, I I know we don't want to add on to government and government can only do so much and there are only so many people, but why is there not a way, because you are broadcasting, broadcasting is the wrong word, but you are disseminating information and if you want to make threats to people, you should be able to
1: be tracked down. Uh, you can. Yeah, uh, people ha- who have who well, have, have made fake some... emails. They well, you, you can still find it with the IP address. If if uh, you can find those things, the issue probably is is uh, you know we've kind of got you're not going to go to Argentina and track these guys down if if they are indeed from Argentina. The bottom line is they're just trying to 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 bring the fan base throttle. Back no, I don't mean IndyCar. I don't, I'm not no, saying this is
0: IndyCar needs to track them down. I guess you know, and this goes back to. Uh, who owns Twitter and so forth and managing all that and bot accounts and everything. But it's just very frustrating. It's very frustrating that there's, I, I love social media and what it's done to bring information to us. I love information in a handy way, but that's the downside of it.
1: All of the hate well, and the lack of accountability. Keep in mind that people used to mail hate letters I used to get them at the star from time to time from people who were incarcerated, who wrote things that were just 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 inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh You get things from people um who obviously don't have the right perspective on life. I'm covering sports. So you used to just get it by mail. It could come that way. So it, it's not a social media only issue, but I appreciate your your uh your insight on that. So and then Pato Award
0: also uh, sent a message out. I don't know if Pato was receiving uh messages from Kiwi fans or if if Dixon was receiving messages from Mexican fans and Pato was trying to tamp those down a little bit, but it's it's good that both Augustine Canapino spoke out publicly and basically said leave my teammate alone. It's not his fault and Pato did the same. So rational people understand this. Uh, and, and I'll admit that uh, that I, I wondered. You know, I, I, there's momentum. There's some enthusiasm for a race in Argentina, and then there is a new Instagram account that I don't know if the general populace is familiar with, but the the, the paddock has taken note of, wondering who is IndyCar memes on Instagram, who takes pretty uh, intelligent. It Shots and it almost one in the paddock now and again, and we think it's someone on the inside because they have insider jokes that just the casual fan would not have. And then I saw this today; it was a, a crying picture of uh, of uh, Vito Corleone, Ricardo Junco's, watching his Argentinian home race slip through his fingers right now. Um, I don't know that that's going to have an impact in it, but it is something that crossed my mind. That if that's going to tamper a little bit of the enthusiasm, probably not. It's going to come down. Can somebody write a check for 20 or $30 million? It's going to be the difference in that race. Fair enough. You don't have to comment.
1: No. I, I don't.
0: <laughs> By the way, I'm told someone now, I think we know who it is. Someone knows who it is. I don't know who it is, but I think it's been figured out who IndyCar memes is on, on Instagram.
1: You've so just there blown, you go. You just blown their cover.
0: Well, no, because I didn't say who it is. And I didn't say who uh, I've been told we think the person is associated with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they were at Long Beach. We could tell they were at Long Beach this past weekend. Uh, so there you go. So what other dramas did we have from the race? Anything else that we
1: haven't covered at that point? No, I think that's it. And, and you know, this, the second incident, well, you didn't really get to the to the Pottawa Ward uh, spinning and f- trying to make that same move into turn eight. At, that he did on Scott Dixon, he made a similar yep. move trying to get on Kyle Kirkwood and was clearly not alongside in that one. Where he made wheel-to-wheel contact with Scott Dixon, he hit the side he was going to hit the side of Kyle Kirkwood and and bailed out uh smartly and spun his car. Uh and as we talked about in the first segment, Marcus Erickson did very well to virtually avoid him. There was very light contact uh, with Erickson striking Pato Award. And then uh, Erickson took some contact, very light again, or appeared to take from Romain Grosjean. Uh, but Erickson's car unaffected and was able to continue on. And then while he fell to eighth place, then drove back up to to third. And Pato Award uh, clearly got the wrong end of that deal and, was obviously at fault in that one took apology, gave apologies and we'll move on. Yeah.
0: Pato said, I'm not going to apologize for the Dixon incident, but the, for the next one was my fault. Apologies to my team. There's a nice little chunk out of the nose of Erickson's car. So the team was telling him through the race, everything seems fine. um, But that, you know, may impact you just a teeny teeny little bit. And Kyle Kirkwood had contact at least three different times. I think I, I, it was close. Newgarden came out of that first stop, big wiggle, and if they didn't touch, they came really, really close in that sequence. And then uh, he was tapped. He tapped the back of Canapino. He was right behind him when the incident we talked about happened, and it almost ended his race there when Canapino wiggled, and then the, the right rear was hit by the left front of Pato when, when Pato spun. Uh, in that case, so you know that's why it's a matter of inches. We're talking about how great Kyle Kirkwood was. Two more inches in any of those, and people are talking about, oh, Kyle Kirkwood can't finish
1: the deal. Yeah, it takes a lot of luck to be good at racing. I'll tell you what, I was I was holding my breath watching the uh, the pit out of New Garden when he he left the pit box out and trying to beat out um, you know the field and 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 got sideways. I think about all those crew members. One of them kind of scurried out of the way and uh it's just such a tight pit road most tracks especially there
0: i think that's what i said when i finished my pit call is just i'm watching it not on the monitor just watching it how tight that is um it's chaos and then you look at the overhead shot and i always say that i'm amazed how close race cars at 50 miles an hour come to the rear heel to the heel of the outside tire
1: changers they're missing it by three inches all the time and the other thing you can't you can't grasp that television doesn't show you is that pit road is banked that there are racetracks that aren't banked as much as that pit road is right there i mean the car is actually higher in some places than the guy's kneeling he's actually sort of above him that's how much banked it not by much but it's The point is, it's really banked right through there.
0: All right, when we come back, we'll get you set for hour number two. We'll talk about the IMS test, get to your tweets, and plenty more coming up on Trackside. This is Alex Palau, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, before we get set for hour number two, a couple of things to mention. So last week on the show, we had Logan Seavey, the most recent Chili Bowl winner on the program, talking about the Hoosier 100 coming back. And unfortunately, it looks like the weather won't be good this weekend. So that's already been... Postponed, Uh, Likely rain and cold this weekend. So the 70th anniversary Hoosier 100 at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park that was scheduled for Sunday is now coming up on Friday, May 26. So it'll be part of the Carb Night Classic. Silver Crown was already going to be running that night. Now, uh, I believe my understanding is that this just becomes a points paying Silver Crown race. Uh, There also will be a USAC midget race. And then USF 2000 and USF Pro 2000 also running. So a big night. We may try to do something that night. I'm still kind of working through what the schedule will be, but we may do sort of an informal tweet up or last year we had more of a program in a tent. So I'm kind of one event at a time. Uh, We've got Prime 47 Burger Bash tickets on sale now. Let me know if you want to know where that's at we've that that's for the vip section now remember it's still free the outside area is still free like it always has been but if you want free prime 47 food and we've got drink from indy brew bus and some other uh extras involved for a donation to the iu simon comprehensive Cancer center that's available and then as i mentioned we've got another big event coming up at silo on the thursday of race week uh, the Silo Auto Club downtown, really cool cars, simulators. Clayton Anderson is going to be playing. Derek Daly is hosting. We'll uh, probably have some of my NBC friends there, some other former drivers. That's on Thursday of race week. RaceforRP.org has information and we'll soon have tickets available. So we'll have information on that. But So, so a lot of things coming up race week. And then um, we're still working on some more budget, but we expect to see Jackson Racing and IRP on uh, carb night as well and we'll maybe do something out there so a lot of stuff going on but that's when the hoosier hundred will be on carb night uh, i had a chance to see 100 days to indy the first episode that is going to when is that next week the 27th i think is when that's going to be available on the cw which is channel eight here locally in indianapolis and, and i won't spoil too much or get too much into it but i'll, I'll say this You're going to like it. I think IndyCar fans are going to like it. There was maybe some concern that, you know, we all know you're trying to grow the sport with this and bring in new fans. Is it going to be too dumbed down? Is it not going to be interesting to us? And I would say no. I think IndyCar fans are going to enjoy it. And hopefully those that are new to the sport will start to attach to some of the characters, some of the drivers, and find a reason to watch upcoming events so uh we will talk more about that after we've all seen it coming up in the next little while all right next hour what do we still have to get to well cars on track at the indianapolis motor speedway we'll tell you the schedule and uh, who's going to be there and a 34th we'll get into that coming up starting on thursday and friday uh maybe some ratings conversation those came out today and plenty more on the way it's trackside 93.5 107.5 the fan
1: Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Hour number two. Thank you for staying with us. Eddie Garrison is in our Indianapolis studios. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Tuesday night again next week. And then are we into the month of May? Then we're in the Daily starting on May 1st of the Monday after Barber Motorsports Park. Seven until eight each night, I'm guessing. Beyond the Bricks is on at eight o'clock after us. I have not seen a schedule or seen anything firm. I've actually not been told that we're doing that, but Eddie knows that he's scheduled to come in at seven o'clock on Monday night. So I'm going to guess he's going to want us to chat. So we'll plan on that as well. And we'll talk to you again for our final two hour program of the month of April. And until we get to June next Tuesday night until uh, from seven until nine, we'll get you set for Barber Motorsports Park. Coming up the last weekend of April, that is always a fantastic race. Road course at Indy, second weekend of April, and then the 107th Indianapolis 500. And the event sort of begins coming up uh, this week. Thursday and Friday is the open test at IMS.
1: So the first thing I would say, uh, interestingly, by the way, it's the same two dates as last year, April 20th and 21st. You can catch all the action live on Peacock. Uh, also, IndyCar Radio Network is going to have uh, daily updates and, and segments of which you can get the radio guys to uh, break down the action. And if you're on the international side, you can join IndyCar Live uh, on the website on IndyCar.com to uh, see the activity because Peacock is U.S.-based only. Time oh, that's great. It's so on times. It'll be 11 to 6 on Thursday. <clears throat> be prepared that uh, we might start early and the time what? slots that we have in place. Well, the problem is Friday's forecast does not look good. And so if there's a chance to get started a little bit early on Thursday or even run a little bit late. I think that's try- more likely. They're, well, I'm just saying they're prepared to do whatever it takes. They'll make that decision tomorrow. But if you start hearing cars at 10:45, don't be surprised. That's my point. Okay. So I, they're not going to start at nine. But if they have the chance to move it up a little bit, they're going to get rolling. If teams are ready and let's go. I mean, the point is that they're they're cognizant of the fact that that Friday's forecast isn't great. You could do a you know a rain uh makeup day on on Saturday. but if you gave the teams enough time on on Thursday, maybe you don't need to stay two days for, just to wait for it to clear up.
0: totally. I was just a little bit surprised because I don't know that we'll be on at eleven. Maybe we will
1: <laughs> that changed well, up. let's don't you know it, let's you're not going to have cars at speed at ten forty five. you know you're going to do some install laps yeah. and kind of prep the track, so to speak, prep the team I, so. I,
0: I was told that there is a chance that they stay late. um. Now, what I've heard is they're still, no matter what, going to come out on Friday. The last forecast I saw is now looking like rain might end by 10 o'clock or so on Friday morning. We're still way too early to put a, a ton of faith in that. But there would be reason to stick around for a couple of hours for a while on Friday for one reason, that you would get two totally different weather circumstances. It's By the way, it was like 35 this morning. And it got up to uh, over 60. Really nice day today. It's supposed to be almost 80 tomorrow, 80 on Thursday, and then cool down again. It may be in the 50s or low 60s on Friday. So teams would be able to learn something in relatively hot conditions and then relatively cool conditions, which I think they would find a value as well. But the point is accurate. Uh, it, it's flexible. So check social media. Peek in there. Things could change a little bit from what's going on on Thursday and Friday as well.
1: And it's going to be busy. And if you want to come out to the Speedway, you know, the the area in front of the museum, be open and available. Uh, there will be some, we're trying to, we, you know, we've tried it at, at uh past test to spruce it up, give you some, some driver interaction, perhaps, you know, some, some extra food and beverage along the way, some special items, some, uh, the, the, the videos, video boards will carry Peacock. So you can watch the video board from there and keep track of, you know, the interviews and so forth. Uh, I'm told you're going to have 11 cameras on the Peacock broadcast. So this is just not a static, you know, one or two cameras with a pit camera option. Six cameras showing the racetrack itself, two on pit road. You guys are going to have an interview set. So you're going to have Diffie and Hinch, yourself and Marty Snyder. So a full complement of Peacock coverage. And
0: probably Ryan hunter Ray in the booth to start things off because he's not on track until one o'clock as one of those in the refresher situation, Ryan did a really nice job in the booth for one of our practice sessions at Long Beach, but he's got a better job now. He gets to drive race cars again. So yeah, we'll have the the set in the the green room and then uh, we'll have a reporter out on the course as well. So we'll have a lot of things to talk about coming up this weekend. And as far as what to expect, you know, as I kind of chatted with people this weekend if if we, are going to learn anything about who to expect to be good. And I was told essentially, probably not. But they will learn some things and verify some things. So it'll be kind of a guessing game as to what's going on. And people who are really paying close attention, I think, will be able to learn some things about who might who might be best. You know, the biggest question going in, because uh, I think we feel like Ganassi is going to be strong. One theory out there, though, is... You've had the best car basically three years in a row, and that continue? Nothing has changed, so in theory it could, but something – your luck just doesn't remain. So, you know, from example, the Ganassi standpoint, that might be one of the concerns is, wow, we've been great. Is it going to still be there? And then the Penske side of things, uh, I asked Joseph Newgarden about this, and he said, I don't know why – you know, maybe it's just optimism, but – I got the impression it's more than that, that that's what they've been doing since what day was the Indy 500 last year? Say it was May 28th, since May 29th last year. They have been focused on getting this right and finding the outright pure speed. And he said, I think we've we found it. It didn't look great last year, but we did learn some things and we think we are going to be strong this year. But that's the big question coming in. Is Penske going to be Penske like or are they just going to be okay?
1: So they haven't been Penske like since twenty nineteen, when they finished first, what, first, third and fifth, maybe something to that effect. Here's a here's a trivia question. Let's see if you know the answer to who had the fastest lap of last year's open test. I've asked for that information, but I haven't received it yet. I've asked for the, the Joseph Newgarden. Yeah and and Marcus Erickson had the 10th quickest lap in the session last year. Kanaan was up there, he was like 3rd, but and Dixon was like 4th or 5th. He he went on to win the pole. He's won the last two poles. It could be the first driver in history to win three straight poles at the speedway. Uh but yeah, largely, you know, what we saw in the test didn't I mean, it you didn't have it it wasn't irrelevant. But like Pato Award was 21st in the test last year. So what they're working on in the test, I would presume, though, is race running. You would
0: think. More so. And race running, Joseph Newgarden was fine. He said the car was good, just didn't have the pure speed. And this is what I think might be different this year. Even from talking to some of the Andretti drivers, Yes, you're still going to see them go out there in their groups. How many can they run? They've got five cars, plus they've got two Meyer Shank cars. So they could go in groups of seven. And I'm sure we'll see that. But what I'm told is we're going to try to run by ourselves more often. We're not going to wait until Friday when they turn up the boost, Friday of race week, to, to really work on qualifying. We're going to work on pure outright speed much more. Joseph said the same thing, too. Um, it is more of a track position race. If you're one, two, maybe three, you're racing back and forth. If you're 10th, 15th, whatever, you're kind of where you're at and it's a little bit more difficult. So you have to qualify. Well, that's what everyone is focusing on. We must qualify up front. It is about pure speed. We want to run by ourselves as much as we possibly can. So when you see a big, a better number on a day for Joseph Newgarden being the best, That makes sense. He probably was the best in race configuration or one of the best. They passed cars, but they started too far back.
1: Well, they started 13th and finished 14th. So it wasn't like they were – or 12th and 13th, whatever it was. They basically – finished where they started so if i let me see look at my i understand
0: I think, they, I think he lost a bunch of spots in a big
1: stop and had to pass to get back to that position he did but you know you got to pass guys who are faster than you or or at least higher up in the grid for the reason that you know whatever it led for them to get up there you got to be able to pass the fast guys and apparently he couldn't do that um so I, w- I was also going to make the point that um You know, you've got guys that uh, you still got a lot of rookies that got to make it. We have 33 of what we expect to be. And I say expect because that 34th car hasn't been officially confirmed yet. While media reports uh, over the weekend suggested that 34 is a done deal. We're going to have 33 car and driver combinations this week. Uh, That Able Motorsports car, uh, assuming we see it for the race, uh, is not going to be there and we'd also heard Kyle Larson might participate in this test he's not on the entry list so we'll see how this shakes out uh come come the weekend so the 34th will be announced tomorrow for Able
0: Motorsports um I feel like I am okay to say that from who I've talked to uh and that'll be it that's going to be the and they are not going to be able to participate in this test I had a question on social media uh question was um oh i see ryan hunter ray tweeted that uh, oh no he tweeted he was going to be in the booth so i don't think i was talking at a school about saying he'll be in our booth and we're going to have a lot of guests and others may come up to the booth as well that was an old tweet from back on the weekend that he was going to be in our booth the question from charlie smith do you know if able motorsports was able to procure an engine in time for the open test this week i don't know if they're not testing this week because they don't have an engine or they're just not ready yet so if you uh joined us over the weekend tracksideonline.com is the one that had it firm first a lot of people have hinted about it i think a lot of us have known it was going to happen or 99 sure it was going to happen but tracksideonline.com i guess on friday afternoon had some quotes and just said, it's happening. And then, so I checked in with some people and I was told it's happening, but we can't say it on the record yet, or we prefer not. Um So that's, that's kind of how we looked at it. But I've gotten some more information that tomorrow is going to be the day when we get the announcements uh going that RC Enerson will be in the car. Here's by the way, another reason we feel like it's pretty solid information Uh, The Enersons have been retweeting those posts on tracksideonline.com. We just have not seen the Able Motorsports uh, official announcement at this point. So Able Motorsports is running an Indy next, Indy Lights, for Jacob Abel, who's off in their one event this season to a great start to the season. And one would think that they have designs about becoming an IndyCar team in the future. So to me, this makes a lot of sense to let's get a little bit of experience and partner with someone else, R.C. Enerson and his dad, Neil Enerson, they own the Lucas Oil Formula Car School, they own a car and they own a backup chassis as well. That's what ran with Top Gun. So this is that same car. And I know people will say, is this going to be the same effort that's down two miles per hour? And and time will tell. My opinion would be, and I should have looked this up before, I've, I've got some names of people that are going to be on this car. Um... But I feel a lot better about it. One, I think there's more budget involved. Able Construction is, I don't know if they're going to make that the primary sponsor or not, but that's Bill Abel's company. This is a big company. And this can be a real venture for them and provide, I think, value in return for all their partners and all the things that they are doing. And I'm going to guess that the Enersons have found some commercial partners Uh, As well, including the Lucas Oil School. So I suspect there's quite a bit more budget behind this project than the Top Gun, who there were rumors of certain sponsors leading the way, and it never really happened. The car was blank. Uh, So that standpoint helps. I also think they've been working on this project for a little while longer you know, when you, you talk about who who's going to be the one left out, you have to talk about the one that came together the last and that has some new people and doesn't have a partnership with someone else. But my guess is they're going to be in the mix. And I think they have as good a chance as some of the other two or three others that you would talk about that you might wonder if they're in peril. But I think it'll be a quality effort.
1: So I spoke with someone involved in the process last week. And the, the the report back was that these were not going to be able motorsports personnel running the car. This were largely people brought in from the outside. Some of that you just referred to. But in other words, this was not going to be taking people from Jacob Abel's program uh, and you know from the Indy Next side and putting them mm-hmm. on on the IndyCar team. This was largely Able Motorsports in name. And while Obviously, they'll be up close and personal in terms of learning for the future, and you know, with an eye toward getting Jacob Abel in the Indy Five Hundred probably next year. But this was more of a, a a partnership that would would involve outside people not currently on the payroll at Abel Motorsports. I would think John
0: Brunner, their team manager, who is very solid, is involved in this. But yes, I know they're definitely. Uh, some people that have worked for they've got a lot of IndyCar experience on this team, so we'll get into the names when that's all officially announced out there. But I've I've heard some of the names and I recognize some of the names, so uh, I think that'll be good. And everybody thinks highly of RC Anderson, who is impressed in in the road course races that he's done without a lot of track time. So that'll be good. We'll have 34. Uh, I wish we would have 35, but I, I I don't know if it was a lack of budget to get the 35th together the name that kept being thrown out there was Peretta Autosport trying to do something for Simona. I don't know if they came up short in the budget or if they decided like was talked about last year. Well, we've got this budget. We could do one race or we could do three or four later in the year to gather more experience and get a little more Sometimes I think as much as as important as the Indy 500 is, it is really expensive to entertain your guests at the Indy 500. You can bring more people and give a really high level hospitality experience at some other races. So I think maybe that applies to it because it, that's expensive to do for, for your primary sponsors. So that could be part of it. And then it could also simply be Chevrolet because it would have been a Chevrolet if it happened. I know Honda was, they've been very adamant that they were done. Chevrolet may have just decided, you know what, we'll go to 17, the same as Honda, but in 18 stretches the resources with parts and with people so it could could have been just a combination of both Uh, you know maybe if the check is big enough for everyone involved they say well we got to figure out how to do this because this is something you know we we, this sponsor once in the indy 500 we need to make this happen uh, because it's someone that is going to have a long-term effect but if it was a little bit on the eh, we're a little bit thin on that front you know
1: maybe there there's just a Let's do it right when we have the chance. I have an event with uh, with Beth Peretta on Friday, on Friday morning and on the on the property uh, invitation, not invitation only, but I think the tickets are gone. Uh, So I will try to get more intel on just, you know, how her program was was working toward some kind of activity in 2023.
0: Yeah. And see if there is any other option to do something with someone else. Uh, Would Ed Carpenter be open to doing something down the road at other events, road and street course events like they did last year with the crew that that fields Ed's car in this race? So that's where things stand. Um, I went over this at the end of the show last week. I think I've seen it as well as to who we will see in the uh, rookie and refresher. You know, I think common sense, even if it's not an official list will give us an idea. Have you looked at that yet to see who we can expect to
1: see uh, as far as the rookies and the veterans? I haven't, but as we take a break and in a few minutes, maybe I'll, I'll dig that. It's going to take a little digging out of the information box and I'll see what I can come up with.
0: Okay. So I know I have that as well. I put that in my notes and wrote it down last week and I could probably find it pretty quickly. Here's what I have. Rookies are Stingray Rob, Benjamin Peterson, Augustine Canapino Veteran Refreshers, Catherine Leg, Stefan Wilson, Tony Canon, Marco Andretti, Ryan hunter Ray. I do not believe Takuma Sato or Ed Carpenter would need to do that because they did the most recent oval race. And Takuma Sato did all of the races last year, and Ed did all of the oval races. What I don't know is do they have do they have the option if they wanted to? I wouldn't think
1: so. No, I think they'd just be in they'd be in the veteran group. You don't get options like that. So Okay. Yeah, and they ran Texas, so I wouldn't see them in the in the refresher program.
0: And I think that's it. If if RC Enerson would have if their car would have been out there, uh then he would have been in that one to three session. So veterans the first two hours, then two hours of rookies and refreshers. And then everyone eligible three until six. And then Friday, everyone would be eligible as well. So keep in mind that the times we got coming
1: up, the times and and the segments are flexible. You might see, you know, if the rookies are done, they might shorten them up. They might put the, you know, they they could do all kinds of things. And
0: and one thing, uh, since the
1: Able car will not be there,
0: one thing to keep an eye on, would IndyCar think about giving them some shakedown time? Because everyone should be through rookie orientation Uh, because then th- they don't normally schedule a rookie session when practice opens on that Tuesday in May. Would they give them an hour on Tuesday morning or a couple of hours on Monday to Good. get ready? So you just keep an eye on that, that we might see something like that as we get to Indy 500 month. Uh We've got ratings to talk about. People are always interested in that. so We'll, we'll get into that. I saw a little bit of news on the Nashville event and its future over the weekend in local media, so we'll do that. And I'm sure there's still many other things we need to talk about, including what going back to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Colton Herda, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and
1: 107.5, The Fan.
0: Trackside continues, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Eddie Garrison is there downtown, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan uh, coming up. As we've talked about, the IMS test on Thursday and Friday, and then the following week at Barber Motorsports Park, then a weekend off with uh, activities already starting in the month of May. What well, you've got Rev that first weekend. That the That is the Kentucky Derby. There'll be a lot going on that weekend. That's when the uh, Miami F1 race is. And then we'll be ready for the IndyCar event, the GMR Grand Prix. Is that the 13th? I think it's the 12th and 13th, which will include the USF Pro Championships as well. I'll sneak in some tweets. We'll get some more at the end of the show as well. Paul at PKD O D I Mead asks, how did ward avoid a penalty for putting Dixon in that scenario? So we talked about that in the last hour. I didn't see it until uh, until just a little bit ago. And that my kind of opinion and Kurtz is as well. If it's not it's not really obvious, then it's probably best to avoid that. Uh, I believe Emma Dixon disagrees, and I also think Scott Dixon disagrees from that standpoint. Ford Prefect, E. Hirschberger, we answered this one as well. What happened to Joseph Newgarden that he had to save so much more than everyone else? Did he have to stop that early? I don't think he did for fuel. He either needed to. I think the fear was, if he stays out, that's about the cutover point. When the primaries start to get better than the alternate. So he was either going to give up the lead in that case. um, And then I think it's also a bit of a gamble. If, if, if when he came in, if there was one more caution, he's fine. But what lends me to think there was something more to that is they were telling him to stay hard early and just, you got to let him go. Um, if the gamble was, we'd like a caution, then maybe you're running relatively hard for a little while and then you have to back down. But it sounds like it was kind of a combination of things. I I think they either didn't get them full or they came in a lap earlier than they planned. And it's very possible there are codes for when to pit. You know, I, I talked about that from listening to the scanner, just sitting at home from Texas when I didn't hear a call of pit and you know maybe trying some trickery someone missed a code word because they may not want everyone behind them to know that they're coming in because it might be follow the leader at that point cuz the, the other fear and and the real challenge in strategy is okay in road courses we have seen race control generally speaking unless someone is in peril or you cannot avoid it if it if a yellow comes out if a yellow is going to come out around a pit cycle, if that pit cycle has started, they will try to let everyone go by the pits one time before they bring out the yellow. And that's somewhat doable. It's debatable. Some still don't like that. But that's somewhat doable on road courses. Street courses, it's tougher because that means safety can't move at all. Uh, it's tough to do local yellows. There's more likely to be track blockage. So the general consensus going into this, especially after some cl- complaints with participants about leaving the pits open, I think we all felt that anytime a car is in the wall, yellow is coming out. Good luck to you. So that brought up the old the danger zone scenario that once one person has pitted until you pit, if a yellow comes out before you pit. Then your race is over. And whoever came in first, not only is going to make the fuel now, but they're going to cycle to the front and everybody else is going to be behind them. So that might be a reason that you're not sure you really want everyone to pit with you. You'd like to go one lap longer. And and that's a, a, a one more aspect of that. If you look at the history of cautions and that event, they tend to come around pit cycles. So that's already the danger zone. And one of the reasons they are more likely to come because... People are either at the end of their tire life or they're on cold tires. And in either scenario, you always hear on the scanner, push, push, push. Use all the overtake you can because you're pitting and you no longer are worried about saving fuel. And you've probably had someone in front of you pit, so you've got clear track. So you're trying to make up time. And then the same thing on the outlap, push, 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 because you're trying to beat somebody else coming out of the pits and so forth. So crashes tend to more happen
1: in those scenarios. So I don't have a definitive answer on New Garden. It's just all kind of guessing. So a couple things to to follow up on a point to make first, it was interesting that Benjamin Peterson had a stalled car in a, in what looked to be maybe not too precarious, but a little bit precarious as the medical or the, uh, the rescue team was trying to get his car turned around. I thought that might have led to, A a caution flag. It did not. They were able to leave it open. And I think that was leading to some indecision from teams. Like, are we going to get a caution? Are we not? The other thing I would ask you, and I just don't remember, I was going to look at the box score and I haven't yet, but award was not, was he punished? Was he penalized for the, for the spin that, uh, that slowed Marcus Erickson? I don't think he was. He didn't, he didn't really cause. He didn't cause anybody else harm, as it turned out. He just spun into the tires himself. So he would have probably gotten a penalty had he collected uh, Kirkwood uh, because he was clearly not alongside him as he was with Dixon. But it's interesting that um, he kind of got away with with two situations and didn't get penalized in either one of them. So there were no
0: contact penalties. There were penalties for – LAO for emergency service in a closed pit that we talked about. Uh, Stingray Rob, a pit speed violation. And I think I heard that may have been maybe a mechanical issue or something like that. Or or maybe I'm thinking of the 55. Uh, Peterson, failure to follow the direction of IndyCar. I think I saw the quote on that was, yeah, we kind of made a mistake and gave somebody, yeah, miscommunication from the pits resulted in a drive-through um, along with the turn one runoff escape issue was what put him three laps down in the race. So yeah, no no contact penalties in this one. Bill Ryan at Orco Truck 59 says, I love the straight face with the yeah, bra comment from Colton Herta during practice. Can't wait to see what tomorrow brings. So yeah, that was obviously our word game. If you're following that, was California words. I, I noticed that Joseph Newgard in my pre-race interview asking about the rivalry with Pado, Uh so maybe this is something we'll need to be focused on. He did not answer my question or address it at all. Just simply got the word of the day in. He did something something related to California and got two or three points in for that and then said it's going to be a fun race. Uh but Missed I also think one. he doesn't Yeah, he, I also think he probably wasn't going to answer that question. So that's actually just a savvy veteran move. It's what I always tell people in media training say what you want to say. You don't have to answer the question uh or at least give it, you know, a try. Make them a- ask you two or three different times. Most of the time they've run out of time in a live interview. It doesn't work well in print though, does it? No. you got no you got no producer telling you move on to the next guy. But in a broadcast interview, you can simply say what you want to say and deflect and I don't think Joseph Newgarden really wants to talk about um trying to beat one particular driver and a rival uh, and so forth. Pato is more game to talk about that scenario. I've Pato's, got others asking and begging if I'll come interview them because they're behind on points.
1: <laughs> you, you're kidding me. They they didn't really ask you that because they're behind in points. Yeah, it might have come up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did. I missed the uh, the Joseph answering a question without answering the question, which they do a lot. But I didn't hear that. one. And, and again, it's fine.
0: Um, but he did make sure he got got a few words for points in, in that interview, though. Um, but yeah, I don't think wh- whether he was doing a word game or not, I don't think he was going to answer my question. I think he was just going to talk about the day
1: that was. So you've got seven, five, you got 12 hours of peacock time uh, where you're going to have drivers on Thursday and Friday up to 12 hours. That's a lot of word games.
0: And again, I'm all for it because oftentimes they understand it's part of the job and they're all professional and, and I get along with everyone really well. But sometimes, you know, we're interrupting them doing their job. Well, in this case, they have more incentive to come and chat with us. Okay. So it'll be the engineer can wait. Kevin is here and was willing to talk with me. So that's going to make my job easier. <laughs> the peacock counts. Some yeah, other ones. Um Do I? Yeah, I'm not going to respond to all the direct messages angry about things, but I will read them on the show because I um, as Dixon told you today, the start was, again, a complete joke. Does anyone care about fixing this? It doesn't seem like a complete fix. This is from translator on Twitter. Long, I don't think is anyone, don't Long, think anyone likes that start. They're not they're not enthused with that. And what you really kind of, you know, what stood out is, you know, as I looked And them coming through one, my first response is, how is Newgarden fighting for third? He almost passed Grosjean and he started eighth. Well, it's because he got a running start. So do they, if we ask Jay Fry or uh, anyone, Kyle Novak, anyone else in race control, would you like it more even? I'm sure they'd say yes. But then the other question is, okay, so this happened. What do we do? You know, you can tell the drivers what you want to have. And, and you could move the start closer to turn one, but then we're more likely to see what we ha- saw at St. Pete. And they, they want the start as early as possible because they want them to spread out because it is really difficult to go too wide through turn number one, and you're just going to get a crash. So the other option, I think, is a standing start. If you want to go to standing starts, we can talk about that. That's what I would say if I'm race control. And do things differently, you know. Rolling starts kind of what separates IndyCar Car from European road racing. But that hairpin makes it really tough to get more than about three rows aligned. And otherwise, it's coming through the hairpin single file. And if you're smart, if you're back in the pack a little bit, you get a little bit of a gap. You get momentum, like New Garden did, and you see if it works. Should they give New Garden a drive-through for that? I haven't looked back. Did, did he pass anyone before the start finish line? I if he did, he deserves one, but I bet he didn't. I bet I, he just I, had I, momentum.
1: Yeah, I bet he had momentum too. I I was going to say what you made the point. The hairpin just makes it impossible to have all those cars on the front straightaway at Long Beach and be able to start, you know, far enough ahead of the ahead of the line so that you don't have a big pile up in turn 1. So that's just kind of Long Beach, but having a big run and getting a jump on somebody, we seen we've seen penalties for that, and we'll see them in the future. But um, yeah, I, I haven't studied New Garden, but he did have a big a big dose of momentum.
0: Um, what else do I have on Twitter that I will address in this segment? Uh, oh, um. Our friend in the Laguna Seca, Monterey area, Paul Ingram, uh, points out that there are now direct flights from DFW, Seattle, Portland, Vegas, LAX, SFO, Denver, and Phoenix to the Monterey Airport. I did that last year. That was nice. There's not not as many options, but it sure was nice not to have to drive two hours the day after the race and the day of the race, just to be, whatever, 25 minutes or so away from from that standpoint. Uh, Ratings came out today, and... I'll admit, I was quite concerned about what they would be head-to-head with NASCAR. I think the Lakers, LeBron and the Grizzlies and Ja Morant were playing at the same time. You just got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but they, in my opinion, I thought they were really good. I, I My best guess was it was going to be 800000 some something like that with the competition that you had. But it was a little over a million and a point six one or six two or something like that from what Adam Stern tweeted uh, on the broadcast. And then you add in digital and NBC Sports PR actually sent out a post today, which I did a screenshot of. And for the first time ever, Kurt, they released digital numbers. Well, not the first time ever. So They released digital numbers, which we have seen. These are not specific Peacock numbers, I do not believe, because this could combine Peacock and NBCSports.com. So a race on NBC, you can watch on NBCSports.com. But what they did post was that this, other than the Indy 500 and the exclusive Toronto race, was the most streamed IndyCar race. And Nathan Brown had a number that they told him 50,000. And the number was 1.076 million. So that's good. It's the second most Long Beach race on NBC and just barely down from last year. So
1: basically flat, basically flat. Yep,
0: all good. All right. We'll see what we missed and more coming up. Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment. A chance to still get to a couple of things. Tim Berryman at TLB Man sent this in. Why is there almost no network mention or promotion for the GMR the GP, he asks. Uh, I would say because it's not the next event. So nationally, it's, it's a big event, but it's not the Indy 500. And it's not going to draw 300,000 people. And it's not going to draw four to five million people on television, no matter how much you promote it. So you have to kind of choose what you spend a lot of time on based on what is potentially available. And generally speaking, you get a mention of the next event. So while it's special to us because it's at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, and and we hope that being at in Indianapolis adds a little more prestige and attention to it. In reality, you know, I don't know that you're going to go and start spending a lot of time on that ahead of the other events. So the next event is going to be the race at Barber Motorsports Park, and that's what would get a mention most recently. So that's kind of the way it is. Now, if you're speaking to locally, well, you, you ask about network promotion, and that's just the way it is, network promotion. You're you're probably not going to get that. It's still a fight here locally. It is, you know, I'm talking to potential partners for Jackson. Oftentimes I have to explain to them, He's racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course, and not everyone still gets here locally that there is an IndyCar road course race. So uh, that is still part of the effort. I saw this from—it wasn't sent to me, but I I saw someone else retweet it, but it's from a regular— Contributor to our program, Brian at 500 Indy 1911, who uh, said, I still think a huge marketing opportunity for IndyCar, Indy 500, is treating opening day of practice like Carb Day, get music, have driver livery intros, parade laps, open garages, promo for the fastest lap, printable get-out-of-work forms, kids-free after school, etc. set the vibe. And I agree with you, Brian. Now, it's easy for me to agree, since I don't have to plan and promote And do the extra things along with that. But I think we've talked about that before. Um, And that was one of the reasons for the Indy GP that that is the announce your presence with authority. Because in recent years, opening day for the Indy 500, it was kind of ho-hum. It was oftentimes maybe even a a Monday or a Tuesday. You could still go on Sunday uh, or the weekend. But even then, it didn't have a ton of fanfare so I would say this, if the GP were to ever go away, and I'm not hinting at anything because I don't think it is, if one of the road course races were to go away, for example, if IndyCar found – if if Roger Penske and Penske Entertainment are adamant that we really don't want to go above 17, 18, 19 races because we don't think the team's – Can handle the budget for that. Adding the extra race doesn't help them pay for those events. Each weekend costs a couple of hundred thousand dollars to the teams. And if you're not bringing enough money in to spread that love, then that becomes a loss for the teams. Um, But if you got to the point where you had another event or two and don't want to add to the schedule, that Brickyard weekend with IndyCar there might go away. That would be one option. I think that would go away before GP weekend did. Either way, though, I like that idea. It needs to be on a weekend, though. Obviously, it wouldn't be a Tuesday, so maybe it could be. That's a tough turnaround for the teams. Racing Saturday, Indy 500, practice the next day. That's tough, so I think that is doable if you ever have an opportunity where you have the GP go away. But something to keep in mind, something to think about. Good point. We're out of time. We'll see you next Tuesday night. Thanks for joining us on Trackside.